the theme for this evening's talk is uh, projections, uh, roles, and liberation. One of the things which is very common and popular, extremely popular, in fact, both uh, in India uh, and in the West and uh, in the US is uh, going to the movies, as you would say, or going to the cinema, as the English would say. And uh, every week in uh, India, where there's often a shortage of uh, uh, television, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people, in fact, um, go to the cinema. And there's a rather a large industry in and around Bombay known as Bollywood. <laughs> and in uh, here, I was reading in one of the um, uh, magazines on a flight uh, recently that also in the US, tens of millions of people go to the movies uh, every week. And uh, I was thinking um, about how often uh, that I uh, go as well. And I might be wrong, but as far as the memory goes, but I think I have been twice this decade. <laughs> and the two occasions which I went to were all in the last um, uh, year or, or so. And uh, one of the films was uh, Seven Years in Tibet with a young actor named uh, Brad Pitt. And about 10 or 12 of us living in Totnes, where I live, went to see it. And uh, they, against my better judgment, persuaded me to go along uh, with them. And then I, my better judgment again, then um, persuaded my uh, daughter uh, to join us as well. And one of the uh, things or concerns which I have with uh, going to the, the, the uh, s cinema is knowing, in fact, inv invariably and inevitably, that there will nearly always, in 99 out of 100 films, there will always be a happy ending. And I find this tedious t to know the result of the film before I've started watching it. And, and therefore, I don't find much enthusiasm to go to the cinema if I know that they're all going to be happily ever after in one way or the other. So when I went with uh, uh, Nashorna, as soon as the film ended, some of you may have also have wasted your money watching it. <laughs> and as soon as the film was over, I said to Nashorna, uh, she's, uh, she was 16, she's 17 now, what did you think of the film? And I have to say she came out with a memorable one-liner. She said it was as exciting as watching paint dry on the wall. <laughs> and the immediate thought that arose in my mind was, it wasn't that exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the other film was an English film, but I can't for the life of me think of what it was. Uh, oh, The Full Monty, that was it, The Full Monty. <laughs> And I like that, yes, I, <laughs> I like that one. 
but it, but not liking it enough to actually go and see another film, at least not in this lifetime. And uh, so I mention all of this because it reminded me um, a little bit of uh, the day-to-day -day circumstances uh, of of life, and I think with regard to uh, uh, the cinema uh, industry, the kind of the large screen as well as the small screen, that we shouldn't never uh, underestimate the impact and the influence that it has on the emotions and on the psyche and the way that that can affect many other perceptions. And I do get concerned in the way that stereotyping can and easily does take place uh, of people, of groups, of uh, individuals, and how quickly and easily uh, in the mind, the judgments can form and we hardly notice upon what evidence or what interpretation or where the original image or images uh, come from. And it might well be that amongst the, the variety of uh, influential uh, factors that uh, arise, it comes from what we see on the television or what goes on in films and we pick out of that, we are impressionable. After all, we're sitting, uh, uh, watching in a very uh, passive situation in darkness and, and absorbing uh, one thing after the other. And as a number of you know, in, in the meditations, in conversations and in dreams, uh, etc., how the, in the psyche and the feeling and emotional and image life, it starts to replay itself and we may, may not even be aware of it. The effect of that easily can be, as I mentioned, that we stereotype and fix uh, people on very little other, other than impressions which we hardly know where they have come from, but all we do know that they are affecting the way of relating uh, in the he here and now situation. And we can live in a very small and limited and very, very uh, narrow bubble in all of this. And perhaps to some degree, the, uh, the world of the, the, the cinema, the, the movie, obviously is an uh, interaction, let us say, between the projectionist sitting uh, upstairs in the uh, cubicle or whatever they do these days and putting onto the, the big screen various images and sounds and there is a world established and easily we can be so absorbed into it that we actually give it um, an extraordinary degree of reality and therefore easily enough our uh, emotional life, which is the measure of a good film, or so-called, the impact that it has on the emotions is often the determination of our uh, view and our judgment of the film. And we forget very quickly and all too easily it's just coloured lights on a piece of screen and various sounds and words coming out of it. And I think it may tell us quite a lot not only about what it is going to uh, the movies, but also uh, as, a, as a fact, but also as a metaphor for various circumstances that go on in our life. And therefore, sometimes, as I say, 
we are carrying around a, a picture or an image, person, persons, group, group of groups of people or whatever, and then something can shift and change. And it's like we suddenly realize that we were living in a projection, we were living in an in a inner body, in this case, say, of uh, negativity or whatever. And as some of you have already reported this afternoon that in one moment, in a few words, in, a, in an expression, in a communication or whatever, uh, a myth, a myth dissolves. It breaks up. It, 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 it falls away. And then there is a whole different way of awareness and understanding and seeing. And one knows one's come out of some projections or some storylines or some views or opinions. And I think it's very, very important with regard to this that when that happens for us, we are very honest with ourselves and very clear uh, with ourselves what we were carrying. Not only to be grateful and appreciative for the awareness that may come in and the love may come in and connection that may come in and those essential themes, but also to be very much aware that we were carrying and that carrying was taking place and we believed in the carrying or we believed in the projection and we thought the projection was the way things are. And teachings of course remind us and encourage us again and again to really look at any kind of projections which do easily and uh, all too frequently take, take place. Sometimes in this movement of the inner life and the uh, uh, projections upon uh, people and upon e each other, not only does it go in a negative way, but uh, it, it also goes in the upliftment of human beings, in the uh, elevation uh, of, of them. And again, we hardly realize that we're actually doing it and we're supporting it and even more tragically, be actually believing in it. And so sometimes we might um, hear something about somebody, you know, perhaps they live down the road in uh, uh, LA or where, wherever it might be, and they've become uh, famous. They might take the acting uh, profession, a fine and uh, uh, honorable profession. And it's a great act of creativity and training that uh, can and does take place but that's what it is. It's people who know very well how to communicate and how in, in the field of the arts to communicate them, to communicate something, what? Something which they are not. That is what an actor is. Somebody who is able to communicate to others well and very convincingly something which they are not. Another role, another part, another person or whatever. And it's a tremendous skill, but why on earth? Would we want to project some great heroic status into these people? Why do we want to think that somehow they are successful or that they are special or that they are incredible or that, oh, it's incredible to meet you or whatever? <laughs> what, what's, what, how has the mind got into to, to that? 
And so something goes on in the projection, and the confirmation of that projection is that when we meet such persons or, or uh, any, any others, there's this funny old thing going on in the emotions called nervousness. Nervousness of one human being meeting another human being who gets out of bed in the morning, brushes their teeth, has foul-smelling breath beforehand, sits on the toilet as one of their primary experiences of letting go. <laughs> and, and we are nervous in front of that. So something goes on extraordinarily in the movement of the inner life which creates gods. We create, uh, we create gods. And not only is the build-up of others taking place, but also the psyche, the inner life, in its projection, in its building up upon uh, human beings uh, in, in this way, doesn't realise and doesn't see, it doesn't know that the corresponding build-up of some human beings will be at the expense of others. It will show an actual disregard for others in various ways. The projection and building up of one is directly at the expense of the others. And therefore, creating our heroes is a, is a profound disservice to human beings, to suffering humanity. Because it's not just the nervousness, but all the other investments that, that we make. And we need, in a culture that we live in, which is creating more and more of these uh, heroes in just every area of public life, every single arena of it, there needs to be a, a thorough uh, questioning of all of this. It's often extraordinarily unfair on the people who are projected upon in the first place. They don't know who they are. Living in increasing degrees of dependency on confirmation, on affirmation, on the feeling and need to be loved and accepted. Struggling with each other to maintain pole position. Only to find that in the very rise is the invitation to the fall and therefore feeling forgotten. So if you and I come at, can come out of this and relate to each other as persons of the earth, as people, as human beings, and we look into the projections which through adulation and building up, and we look into the projections of negativity and fear, as I say, it's a genuine act of kindness and compassion, not only for our own uh, inner life, but also for those who are actually on the receiving end. And, th and therefore, sometimes with ourselves, we say, I don't want to live in projections. I don't want to live that way. I want to relate to the human being as she is, as he is, and not carry uh, all of those social overlays. And sometimes that's a, that makes for clarity and a determination to, to do it. It'll be, it'll be, it's really, it just these points were taken to heart in day-to-day -day life. It would be revolutionary. Revolutionary. 
in the holding, which is a, a feature of all of this, and teachings, notice an uh, important aspect of this is coming out of a holding uh, which take place. And of course that happens, of course, on uh, 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 retreats and outside of it. Sometimes, in the circumstances of things, there is a, what we might call an impactful situation with another. And perhaps it's been difficult. So you're going through the day with your meditations and you remember uh, a circumstance that happened to you. You remember the person, you remember the uh, place, the climate, the location, or the history of this. And some of you during the day have been uh, referring to these kind of experiences. In the, the fading of the event, whether one is looking at it as one rather intense meeting, or a succession of them over a long relationship, 5, 10, 20, 30 years or whatever. It leaves an impression. And we're human beings. Therefore, by definition, we are rather impressionable. And it leaves an impression. It leaves a memory. And the memory comes into today perhaps unwelcome, uninvited, unexpected, but it arises into today. And, when, and one's attention uh, goes back to that situation. If there is carrying, and there is a feeding of it, if there is a giving of it uh, increasing substance, it will affect the next communication. It has to. And so we find ourselves sometimes, as it were, living in the past. And so in any difficult communication in, in life, or in any pleasurable one, because we're impressionable at that time, the act of the communication is one thing, but equally important is what is the residue which is left after the communication. What left? In the, in, inwardly, in that. And is what's left having in it the stink of holding? If it is, we will not be able to see afresh. We won't be able to see the person afresh. We won't be, we won't be receptive inwardly to fresh ways of working with the situation, to new ways of looking at a situation all inhibited through the holding. Nothing else, only through the holding. And that is a disservice to others, but it's also an equally a disservice to ourselves, because if we're holding on to that difficult communication, one fiery exchange, or a long marriage, or whatever, whatever the issue might be, that if we are holding uh, uh, onto it, the other person knows it and it tends to affect him or her or them and, and, and we can't move with it. We become, through that clinging and that holding, kind of frozen in the past. Therefore we ask ourselves, is there holding going on? and to be as honest and as 
clear as we can. Is there holding going on? Sometimes in relationship, as an example of uh, what I mean, a relationship may be short or long term. Sometimes the time and the inner life doesn't necessarily have a, a, a relationship. And sometimes, uh, clearly, it does. And then a relationship, whatever the, the, the expression and the form of it, may come and reach its end. And in the, pa- in the passing of the, of the relationship, generally speaking, there's some adjustment period. All of us have known relationships which have ri- risen and have, and have passed. And sometimes in that, when a relationship moves on, moves on to another uh, relationship or whatever, easily one person can feel in all, in all of this kind of abandoned, forgotten, neglected, rejected. So there's a relationship, the form of it appeared, it passed, one person in the relationship, and a number of you know exactly what I mean in here because you've spoken about it already in the retreat, and in the change which is, has taken place, one person has moved on, perhaps, which is their right, moved on into a fresh relationship, moved on into a new environment, new, moved on into a new workplace, or, or whatever it might be. And it's so easy that when one person moves on, in the very process and the moving on in life, the one who is, as it were, left, begins to feel hurt, rejected, neglected, abandoned. And the mind easily then can keep holding to that. And it uses the memory, and it uses the feelings, and it uses the thought to sustain a a status. He, she, they abandoned me. He, she, they let me go. He, 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 she, they were inconsiderate or whatever it, might, whatever it might be. And it becomes a kind of barrier for us. It becomes a kind of uh, wall around which we have our enclosed view of what, of what? Of the reality. Not of the reality of our view of it. And we become again trapped in the view. And it is restrictive, it's horrible, it's unpleasant, etc. And, it, and there's a feeling moving on and left behind. And that world, that view, we believe in. And when we believe in that, no chance for new doors to open. No chance for our own life that in the cl- closing of one door to have the opportunity for a fresh door to open. Teachings are about liberation. Liberation from what? Liberation from living in projections. Liberation from what? Liberation from living in holding on to. And there will be a number of people in the hall over the days and over the hours and over the minutes who will come face to face with what? face-to-face with projections on certain people in life, born from memory, and therefore face-to-face in themselves with forms of holding. Therefore one is trapped and 
trapping another in a certain kind of way. Retreats are actually rather good for all of this. Well, we hope they are. If, if, if they aren't, then they're no good for anything. And, and so all sorts of circumstances and uh, situations, uh, of course, in the climate of uh, retreats, um, give um, remarkable opportunity for um, the projecting mind. And part of it is the extraordinary value which we may not realize is in silence. You see, when somebody hasn't said anything and we've never seen that person before in our life, we know nothing about that person and we certainly weren't rude enough to look at their forms which were completed um, at the beginning of the retreat, <laughs> though one is tempted to creep into the office late at night <laughs> to, to see if one could confirm one's projections. <laughs> and so, based on the most <laughs> bare expression of sense data, what comes to the eyes and maybe uh, ears a little bit in a small group or whatever, that the, the the refinement of the event easily becomes invested, and therefore, and therefore, which is a nice way of saying infected, with the movement of the mind into it and forming a view. And so sometimes in the uh, lovely dining hall down there uh, below, this is a breeding ground. It's like a, a, a mosquito swamp for the production of views about people and who they are and, and what they're like. And so one finds, might see, somebody who is consistently at the front of the queue. Now this immediately places them as the greediest person on earth who has no thought for others, who piles up the, up the plate with their, uh, 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 their, their food. In fact, they walk off with the whole bowl. <laughs> and all the projections begin to take place. And one is convinced of it, and it's obvious, because the person is always at the front of the queue. If any of you in the front of the queue, you're going to be rather uncomfortable with this. But <laughs> try not to take it personally. <laughs> and... So the view arises of, of certain person or, or, or persons. And then sometimes one sentence of information changes the whole perception. And one just happens to be looking at the work notice board. Oh, this person cleans the kitchen right after lunch. Oh, oh, I had all these projections. That selfish, greedy blighter just thinks of himself. <laughs> Actually, they're doing one of the longest jobs, having to clean out the whole kitchen after, and they need the time to do it. Oh! And so the projection carried, and all the investment and the views, suddenly collapses. Why? A single point of information. In this not knowing, and in this minimal data that comes to us, we build up the storylines about human existence, and then we have the conceit and the arrogance to claim and to proclaim that we're living in the real world. We're living in projections. 
And similarly, obviously with these circumstances, it, it goes uh, equally the other way. One has a pleasant picture, a pleasant impression, a, a, a warm uh, uh, expression or whatever it might be from another, another person. Still all held in the silence. And as a result of that, easily and understandably, the mind and the attention, if not the heart, begins to draw a person or persons um, out of the total social environment and begins to invest, in fact, or whatever it might be, certain attributes and qualities to this person. Oh, they're obviously extraordinarily compassionate. Oh, yes, I can tell they must be incredibly close to enlightenment or... Uh, because they walk so mindfully, <laughs> or whatever. So all this is taking place, again, all based on the fact that the person hasn't got the strength to get the backside off the cushion at the end of the sitting or something. <laughs> and one thinks this is the deep samadhi that we're all looking for. <laughs> so the mind takes the perception, takes it, draws from it, brings into it the views and that, and is convinced. And this extraordinary convic conviction goes on. And then the person only has to blow their nose or fart in the meditation hall, <laughs> and one is ready to dispatch them to the hell realms. <laughs> so, mind, so the mind in its movement from one attribute easily switches, takes place, moves to uh, something, something else, and there's a belief in that one as well. What hope is there in this kind of <laughs> movement, back and forwards, ever finding out who someone is? And of course, the second same applies to ourselves as well. Who are we? Who really are we? Roles are rather extraordinary as well in their place and feature and uh, uh, character uh, of life. And in that, and again referred to as well during the course of the day, we have put in life great store in roles. And sometimes in, it, in the kind of... Uh, two manifestations. If you look at what your feelings and thoughts are during the days that you've been here and what the concerns and issues are, you will have noticed that a fair bit of it is involved in roles. Either roles which are already or roles which will come about or roles which one would like to come about. And therefore, the movement of the self is into the roles. And the great importance, socially and personally, of course, that roles play in our life. And they are manifestations in specific situations. But some, as one person was reporting today, at some times, we say, I've been in this role for many years, I've been 
whatever it might be. I've been a teacher for many years, I've been a wife for many years, I've, I've been um, uh, in business for many years, I've been a husband or a parent or whatever it might be. And for periods and sometimes quite extensive periods of our life, we have said to ourselves, directly and indirectly, and to others, whenever we are asked who we are, we have defined ourselves through the role. Oh, who are you? What do you do? And we select a number of roles which we uh, have in life, and that becomes what the self is. And then the teachings come along and say, oh no, oh no, and begin to speak of not-self. And so, as gets reported regularly on the retreat, a person may say, I've been in this role, therefore the self in a particular function, I've been in this role for many years, yet... Though I've been in this role for many years, I know deep down that is not who I am. I don't know who I am, I don't know who I truly am, but all I do know and all that I do have a sense of is who I am not. And it's not surprising, therefore, that sometimes in roles which have gone on for years, we suddenly find, unexpectedly, or very gradually, a kind of inner protest, not an easy thing to deal with in life, but nevertheless an inner protest about being in the role, day in, day out, year in, year out, and there is something, this is important, something not fulfilling about the self, the I, finding itself in a role, seven days a week, or whatever, year in and year out. And there's some murmurings of protest, some murmurings of dissatisfaction or rebellion or whatever begin to take place and sometimes the very thought is saying, yes, I'm in this role, but it's not really who I am. I don't know who I am, but I know this is not me. And there's a restriction in it. Are we willing to acknowledge the restriction of the role? Any role. And many of you know, and certainly those of us in the role of, of, of uh, uh, Dharma teachers, not only outside, outside of retreats, but uh, um, uh, inside of them as well. So sometimes, and quite uh, regularly, regularly means a daily, people say, oh, can I talk to you? Can I see you? Can I ask you? And as much as possible, of course, we try to be as accommodating as we possibly can. But plenty of times, if we were to respond to every note and every request, we would need more than that little golf buggy to get out of this place. <laughs> the managers would have to call for a Hearst. 
so plenty of times one says, no, not today, tomorrow or whenever. Basically, it's, it, in a way, it's saying, um, uh, no, thank you, um, the role isn't available at the moment. Try again, or whatever. So, there's limitations on the capacity of the self in the role, as it, as it, as it were, and we know it. We know it. So, it's not surprising, therefore, that in retreat, the self and role do sometimes become a significant, if not a burning question, an issue, actually in one's life. And sometimes for some, and this is reported regularly to us, there is a genuine dilemma about the role. And the way that the dilemma manifests itself easily, and sometimes for lengthy periods of time, is should I stay in this role, whatever the one that may be the reference point, or should I get out of it? Should I start it, or should I let it go, or whatever it might be? And so what we experience inwardly is a movement within ourselves which is, as it were, sideways or backwards and forwards taking place. And in the movement, it can go, as it were, up and down or evenly between having the role or not having the role, keeping the role or letting go of the role. And there are some, and the some is not a minority on this earth, find it that days, weeks, months and years go by and one is saying to oneself in an honest um, uh, apprehension of one's existence, my goodness, my way of thinking about this role and going backwards and forwards is just the same as it was in when? 1988 and 1978. And it looks like it's only going to be death that's going to do the job for me. So sometimes the movement of the role goes backwards and forwards. And of course, we can't seem to find any real assurance from anybody else. Because some will say, in that one of the most dreaded opening lines of any response, which is, if I were you. If ever you hear that, weep. And so the person says, if I were you, I would. Only to go to somebody else who says, well, if I were you, I wouldn't. And so the voices go from the outside to the inside. And the various voices coming from the inside to the outside. Is it surprising that one ends up feeling thoroughly confused and one's friends, which one calls one's friends, have made a wonderful contribution to increasing the confusion. Thank you very much. So we tend to think in extremes. Shall I be in or shall I be out? And then sometimes people take their stands and positions on these things and socialized views. And I think it's important to, in this case, to genuinely respect 
the depth of people's heart and listen to what their heart says. And sometimes in the depth of the heart, that does go against the conventions. But still we're here into depth of heart, mattering more than conventions about these things and, and uh, listening well within. What are we going to do if we know I'm in a role and I'm still going backwards and forwards with it and I can't come clear? What, what's, uh, as, as I say, one can talk and talk. So somehow, and it takes an act of trust, sometimes it's a stabilizing practice which matters. It's not the thinking about. It's the capacity in, the, in that to look and be steady enough within the being not make a decision. Presence and steadiness and let it steady and steady so that the inner life is not being consumed in thinking about nor are the natural vitalities which we have being consumed in thinking about. They're being made steady. Perhaps in the steadiness it will come clear. From the clearness will come direct action. Because when we're indecisive, the mind, it can be merciless. Shall I? Shan't I? Should I? Would I? Could I? Can I? When shall I? How shall I? I, 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 I. Thinking, thinking, thinking. I, I, I. And sometimes the meditation cushion is just the hot spot for I. So, with our meditations, as I say, looking to see projections. The building up and the putting down as one of the very, very common forms. Not carrying those uh, projections. Steadying of the whole being. From projections it may become more refined and subtle. And therefore we attend to roles and we look into the self, into roles. Maybe roles becomes less of I and self in roles. Maybe it's an activity. Maybe it's a function. It's a social agreement. And therefore, in our clarity, there is a spaciousness about the roles. A spaciousness around the roles in which the role itself Maybe being in and out of is not the issue. Maybe it's liberation is the issue. And one sees the role in some way as a problem for liberation. A problem for freedom. So is there the capacity in our meditations, in our sittings and walkings, to be steady, to be still, to look at the movement of the mind which moves to a role in this case. See the self alighting in that concern, not giving a great deal of license nor authority to it. Maybe liberation is more accessible. Maybe the issue is not trying to find it through changing of roles nor trying to have it through keeping of roles. 
sometimes in our silence and in our, in our stillness, something shines through. And we can trust in that which shines through. And it has a dissolving impact on holding to projections and grasping to roles. It has a dissolving impact on it all. And teachings point to this and remind us of this again and again so that we can have a free life which accommodates the coming and going of roles. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings see into projections. May all beings live a free and loving life. So let's have a quiet minute or two together, shall we please? <laughs>